Hi, it's John here. Like me, you probably haven't been to any charity events lately, but what about virtual runs or virtual rides? Or have you been rounding up on your digital transactions? Or have you been giving away reward points to charities? Like so many other industries, Canada's social good sector has been broadsided by the pandemic and the loss of live events that are critical to fundraising. We've just come through the high season of giving, and if you donated a little less than usual over the holidays, you're not alone. But many of the organizations that are critical to our social well-being have also used this crisis to transform, to innovate, to disrupt. Charities were already challenged before the pandemic. They saw the future come crashing through the front door, and not all of them were ready for it. So now that that future is here, welcome or not, how do charities embrace it? How can they leverage new technology and new platforms to avoid becoming another blockbuster video? And how do we ensure these groups continue their critical work caring for Canadians? This is Disruptors, an RBC podcast. I'm your host, John Stackhouse. Canada's philanthropic sector is the second largest on the planet when you measure it on a per capita basis. We're behind only the Netherlands, and it contributes an estimated $151 billion to our economy every year, or at least it did in 2018. Of course, last year was different. From coast to coast to coast, most charity walks, runs, and rides had to go virtual or be canceled altogether. Even the bells associated with those iconic red kettles jingled a little less loudly this past holiday season. But against that bleak backdrop, we've seen some surprising, perhaps even prophetic successes. Take the case of Benevity. It's a fast-growing company based out of Calgary that's trying to reinvent philanthropy, and it just reached unicorn status, giving it a value of more than a billion dollars. It's my pleasure now to introduce Benevity's newly announced incoming CEO, Kelly Schmidt. Kelly, congratulations and welcome to Disruptors. Thank you, John, and thank you for having me join today. Maybe I can start with some background on Benevity. Many of our listeners probably don't know it or maybe have only heard about it in passing. Tell us a bit about the company. Sure. Benevity is the category creator and market leader in a space that we call corporate purpose technology. So over 650 companies, including RBC, use our platform to power their corporate goodness programs and engage with nonprofits. So whether that's employee giving and company matching, community investment or grant making, volunteering, pro-social actions. You know, in our history, we've facilitated over $6 billion of, of donations and, and 34 million hours of volunteering to over 300,000 nonprofits around the world. So a lot of numbers there to digest, Kelly. But before we get deeper into those numbers, I want to ask you about that so-called culture of goodness, which I think was a phrase coined by your founder, Brian DeLotenville, who just handed over the CEO mantle to you. What does that mean? Yeah, so culture of goodness, with all of the societal and economic issues around the world, people are looking more to their companies to help solve these issues. And so 
when we think of a culture of goodness, it's just the desire of people to really integrate their goodness or their purpose with their work lives. They're not two separate things anymore. And companies that promote these purposes and culture of goodness, you know, actually are more successful in attracting and retaining talent as well. It's interesting how much charity has changed in a short time. There used to be an expression I gave at the office, which was a way of deflecting from someone knocking at your door asking asking for money. But now, I guess with work from home, the office is everywhere, but our connection with charity is also everywhere. Uh, we want to give, but we also want to connect. How is Benevity kind of rethinking, reimagining charity in light of all that technology is changing? Yeah, I mean, really, our platform was designed to democratize, if you will, giving and volunteering, and it allows employees to support the causes that they're passionate about in the way that they want to. So it's not just a once a year arm twisting exercise for, you know, the charities that the company says are important. But it's also your time, it's opening it up to the causes that you think are important. It's tracking pro-social actions, such as getting groceries for a neighbor. Those are all of the things that the platform is enabling. And it's interesting what you said earlier about giving in Canada declining in 2020, because we actually saw on our platform that in Canada, companies and their people stepped up and donations increased over 70% year over year in 2020. So what's going on there? Because that's a, that's a fascinating divergence that overall, there are some indications of philanthropic giving going down. And yet you're seeing that's a massive increase. Why the difference? Yeah, we tend to not use the word philanthropy um, too often at Benevity because it is often associated with high net worth giving. Benevity is really a micro donation platform and it was designed as such. And so without considering the company match that might be provided, the average donation size on our platforms in the neighborhood of $50, yet over $2.3 billion was donated through the platform in 2020. And so, you know, we're seeing that close to 75% of companies have some form of program that supports their people in doing good and rewards them for it. We saw many companies step up with matching campaigns all the way from one-to-one to five-to-one to to deal with COVID and racial equality movement and other issues in, in 2020, and that drove a lot of giving momentum. And and we've seen that here at RBC, where we've just had a record year of employee engagement through Benevity and other uh, community platforms that we have. And I think you're spot on. People want to do more than just write a check once a year. They want to be engaged uh, in social good. As I said in the introduction, you're now one of Canada's uh, unicorn companies. What's driving this broader interest in uh, ESG, as it's known, uh, environment, social, and uh, good governance interests? I would say if it wasn't the case before, 2020 was certainly the year that corporate purpose became not just a social imperative, but a business imperative. And it was the combination of a, a global pandemic and a large racial equality movement that pushed it to the forefront. There has been plenty of data for a while on the business value of investing in ESG initiatives. And so companies that do so, they see higher revenues, they see higher market values, and perhaps more importantly, lower turnover. There's also a lot of data relating to employee and consumer preferences. And so it basically says that people will choose the company, the product, the employer, you know, maybe even the person that gives back over the ones that don't. And and the likelihood of it affecting, you know, your buying decisions or who you choose to work for, it just goes up the more that the cause resonates individually. And how how is the COVID crisis changing? I'm tempted to use the word philanthropy, but you've just suggested that may be an inappropriate word. How has COVID changed opportunities around social good? 
From my lens, I would say COVID accelerated a lot of the trends that were already there. And so food security, precarious employment and housing, mental health, you know, many people were right on the edge with these issues before and and, and just barely holding it together. And, and COVID was the final straw or, or maybe the third strike. And the impact of it was disproportionate on the charitable sector. So there was a time in 2020, if you were a hospital or a food bank, you were getting more donations than you maybe knew what to do with. Yet if you ran a youth center or a science center or a place that was a hub of activity that where you had to close your doors completely due to COVID, your donations probably dried up and you were figuring out you know, how to keep the lights on without selling off the furniture. And so a lot of the trends were already there. But I think the thing that's going to persist is that many of these organizations to survive, they had to become online overnight. And so as you said, there's been no charity galas, no golf tournaments, um, you know, the fundraising activity that they used to do just completely dried up. And I think this hybrid model of in-person plus online is probably going to be really powerful going forward, not just for how we all work and do our jobs, but also for the, the charitable sector. If I think about the Science Center in Calgary here, I'm, I'm on the board of, you know, now we can bring in experts from around the world online versus our online presence just maybe being a Facebook page. And so it's a good opportunity, I think, for the sector to experiment and find new ways of, of doing things and new ways to attract new donors and to grow. I'm glad you used the word hybrid because that's a, a word that's come up on a number of uh, episodes through the crisis. We've come to call it the uh, the hybrid hustle, which is what a lot of businesses need to, to think about as they think towards uh, the recovery, whether you're in retail or entertainment uh, or finance. Uh, you've got to be online, everywhere, all the time, but also in-person, building and deepening that relevance. Kelly, I'd love to get your thoughts on one charity that's been digital from the start and what we can learn from its experience during the pandemic. I'm Todd Minerson. I'm the country director for Movember Canada. It pays to invest in your in your digital infrastructure. We've been an online charity since 2010, basically. And having that platform ready and available for people to participate was a huge part of how we got there this year. We were in a position to kind of look at how to make incremental improvements to some of our technology that resulted in massive returns on on how it worked for people. The other thing that I think we really learned this year was that Canadians were ready to move to mobile for philanthropy. Our sense is when you've been sitting at home for eight or nine months, working on your laptop and ordering your life supplies on your phone beside you, making that switch to philanthropy on their phone was something we really noticed this year and felt like it was a significant difference in giving. It's interesting to hear Todd explain it that way because we've become so comfortable with medical uh, appointments, grocery delivery, conference calls all on our phone, often on the same device, sometimes at the same time. But as Todd said, you've got to invest in the digital infrastructure and in the technology. I sense a lot of charities think they can just put up a a web page or have a a site and that's their effort for digital. Yeah, destination sites, as you describe them, typically aren't overly successful because the challenge is how do you get people to your site, right? You know, in a platform like ours, you can have access to 10 million users uh, instantly, but the mobile piece is interesting. That was actually a part of our offering that we rolled out about a year ago. Uh, And so you can do all of your good on your phone. And when we think about the future and, and where it's going, you know, certainly we started by using corporations as the aggregator of, of people. But 
we want people to think of pulling out, you know, the Benevity app on their phone when they think of doing good in all aspects of their lives. And so their family circles, their friend circles, their sports teams, their kids' schools, their churches. It's not much of a stretch to think that you just pull out your mobile phone and track your good as as it happens and, and as you move through those circles. Well, as the saying goes, the best place to fish is where the fishes are. Do you see doing good being a destination, even on our phones? Are we likely to go to a doing good app, be it Benevity or or something else? Or do you need to insert yourself in that Netflix experience uh, or the shopping experience where, where, where the fishes are, in other words? Uh, yeah, the answer is actually both. So the app is already a place that people who, who at least are part of our client community um, use the app in that way. But we did also actually see a lot of interest this past year in the second uh, scenario that you described, where companies are looking for ways to just really use our API and our our financial engine to sort of power the the disbursements for things that they might want to do with their customers. Another charity that turned to tech during the pandemic is one actually that I have a deep personal connection with. I met our next guest more than a decade ago when he just lost his son and was exploring ideas around what to do about youth mental health. We spoke for a couple of hours, and it was it was profound. It was a moving conversation that uh, is with me still. He did far more than I thought possible, showing the incredible power of purpose and passion. He saw no choice but to do it, and now he's been forced to reinvent fundraising again. My name is Eric Windler. I'm the founder and executive director of Jack.org, a national youth mental health charity. We're fortunate that our staff of 48 happen to be mostly young people, so they're pretty savvy and adapted quite well to the challenges of pivoting to digital. The beauty of it was we had already anticipated shifting a lot more of our work to digital, and we see it now as a real complement to when things return to normal and we have our our in-person. As many of our listeners will know, one of Jack.org's biggest annual fundraisers is the Jack Ride. But instead of a massive one-day in-person event, riders took part virtually last year using apps like Zwift and Strava. And Eric was thrilled to report they actually raised more money than they had anticipated. So the target for Jack Ride 2020 was 1,250 riders to raise a million dollars for Jack.org. On top of that, we receive about 200,000 in uh, sponsorships. The sponsorships never left us, uh, and we were shocked that we actually ended up with over 1,250 riders, about 7,500 donations, and instead of a million raised, we raised a million three ten. So uh, we exceeded our target by about 30%. That's really impressive. And when I hear the stories of the Jack Ride or the earlier example of, uh, of Movember Canada, I think of digital relevance. And Kelly, I wonder how other charities can build digital relevance, which has increasingly become essential to success. Yeah, I mean, many charities, you know, became online video first organizations, um, basically overnight, even if they didn't have a head start as, as some of these examples. And frankly, they, they can't really fulfill their mandates unless they do that. And so now is certainly the time to experiment. The resistance to change is really low and, and the cost to experiment has gone down. And so, as you said before, you know, when there's a will, there's a way. We didn't think visiting our doctors on Zoom or by phone was was ever going to happen. And then overnight, that changed. And so it's probably going to be in person and online going forward. And, you know, depending on the organization and, and what they're trying to do, there's different ways to engage with their donors and, and to also find new donors through platforms uh, such as uh, Benevity. Kelly, when I hear 
Eric talk about all the success of the Jack Ride, I also think about a really important part of charity, which is the connective tissue of neighborhoods and communities. And I'm wondering about the risk of platforms somehow undermining or eroding that, which is a risk in, in, in all aspects of platforms. We see this in entertainment. We suddenly have access to global content in a way we never did before with convenience we never had before. But, you know, that might put at risk local content creators, local artists connecting with local communities, which culture desperately needs. It's the same for retailers, which are suddenly struggling against the Amazons of the world. And local main streets are suddenly put more at risk as a result. I wonder if the same risks are there for charities, that as maybe they seek that global scale for very good reasons, are we in some unintended way perhaps putting at risk that connective tissue of local charity that strengthens our neighborhoods and our communities? Well, it, it could be a risk. I think the flip side of it is that a platform, it actually allows you to find those local uh, charities. So, you know, something disaster strikes in your community. How do you even know the 20 organizations that need help the most? You know, it's, it's, it's very taxing to go try to find them one by one. And then as you and an individual to figure out, is this a good organization? Are these good people? Is this where I want to put my money? You know, versus having to a platform where you can you know, have access to the full database of causes there and just search for ones that are in your local community. Um, so we actually believe that's probably one of the reasons that we saw giving on our platform increase versus, you know, overall giving decreasing is because, you know, people were able to connect with those causes in their local communities. COVID has certainly increased the need across the board for uh, strong philanthropy in all of our neighborhoods and communities. And it's also become a very powerful way for people to reconnect as we've all been pushed away from many of the places where we used to gather, come together and build community. Coming up, we'll talk about the conventional wisdom that the charitable pie in Canada is only so big and how technology is challenging that belief. You're listening to Disruptors, an RBC podcast. I'm your host, John Stackhouse. We get it. Now, more than ever, it can be tough to keep track of everything that's happening in our world. Never mind make sense of it. There's uncertainty around the economy, the recovery, and where technology will take us in the 2020s. That's why we're here, to provide some clarity and guidance for the future. Please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have a comment or suggestion, you can email us at disruptors at rbc.com. Today, we're talking about the future of philanthropy with Kelly Schmidt, the incoming CEO of Benevity. Kelly, you've just moved into the CEO chair at Benevity, taking over from the founder, which is uh, uh, always an interesting transition. Maybe share with us a bit of your own story uh, and how your career has uh, brought you to where you are today. I am what you call a, a typical Saskatchewan farm kid. Growing up, I didn't know anyone who wore a suit, let alone what a CEO um, might have done. So I can't say that I had a, a master plan to get to here. But throughout my career, I focused on the finance uh, sector and held a number of CFO roles. I actually joined Benevity as the CFO more than two years ago, but have always been quite operationally focused and you know, focused on, on the whole business. 
and the people and and making the business uh, run better. And so it was a natural expansion uh, to take on the president role uh, at Benevity and and now uh, the CEO role. I am, I have to say, very honored and humbled to take over from our founder and, and CEO of 13 years, Brian DeLottenville. We've built a great organization under his leadership. Our, our culture, our people, our clients are are really, really special. And and uh, I'm uh, really excited for this next phase. Now, I'll probably uh, offend some of our, our listeners here, but I've always thought Saskatchewan is the heart of Canada. Where, where Where's the farm? Uh, it, uh, it was in Burstall, Saskatchewan, so southwest Saskatchewan. As I mentioned in the introduction, Benevity is based in Calgary. Kelly, how did the company come to be and what keeps you in Calgary? Yeah, our founder, Brian, uh, lived in Calgary. And so that's often the biggest reason or driver around where companies uh, end up you know, being headquartered. And I've had the privilege of working for for three pretty large Calgary uh, tech companies. And, and that was the case for, for all of them and why they ended up in Calgary. In terms of why we stay, you know, the tech sector in Alberta is actually booming quite a bit. There's actually a lot of other tech companies coming up uh, in Calgary as well. And so there's starting to be, you know, more of a community of software development and product management and all of these things that are growing in the city that sometimes gets overshadowed by a lot of the news around, you know, the energy industry and, and the woes there. And for us, I mean, we're a Calgary company. The majority of our people are based in Calgary. We also have pretty large offices in Toronto and Victoria. And now that, you know, we've all learned how to work remotely for nearly a year, we're, we're not bound to offices. And so now we can continue to attract the talent we need wherever that person might be in, in Canada or the U.S. Um, or globally. And so there's no real reason to move from our Calgary roots. It's such a great place to, uh, to live and work. We've been discussing how the digital revolution accelerated in part by the pandemic is affecting Canada's social goods sector. RBC Economics crunched some numbers and found the overall sum of donations fell by $68 million in Canada from January to October of last year, which forced charities to raise funds in new and innovative ways. My producer, Rian, was in a rideshare the other night, and the app gave him the option of rounding up the cost of the ride, with the difference going to Covenant House. And one of my colleagues at RBC Ventures, our internal ideas incubator, recently helped set up a similar option for users of the Toronto Transit app, Rocketman. Hello, I am Luke Hartwick. I lead the Rocketman team at RBC Ventures. With the pandemic, we wanted to figure out how we could leverage our technology and the skills on our team to digitally enable a charity. And so we began working with one of the largest food banks in Toronto to integrate their food bank locations into the Rocketman app. Uh, as well as integrating the donation component, as well as making it easier for users to find food support if they needed it. And Rocketman acting as a digital channel, you know, had a massive impact for the charity. We raised over $30,000, thousands of pounds of, of food. I think that was really a result of the team, a lot of whom are very technical, being willing to get their hands dirty in pursuit of helping that charity become more digitally enabled. It's, it's weird to think about charities as competing with one another, but I think you'll see the chasm grow between the most digitally enabled charities and ones that perhaps uh, don't have that technical capability. So, Kelly, you're a Saskatchewan farm kid now working in Calgary, and I'm assuming don't have the same sort of 
passionate response to any mention of the TTC, like uh, those of us long using uh, TTC riders might. I, I really miss Rocket Man. It was this amazing uh, innovation that really changed my relationship with my bus, which never seemed to stick with its schedule. And Rocket Man allowed me to game it literally and catch the bus uh, much more efficiently. And it's really interesting to see how that same sort of thinking, tech thinking around efficiency, around optimization can be applied to something like food banks. And Luke raises... Another interesting point, uh, the idea that nonprofits are not all fighting for the same donation dollars. The charitable pie, as many call it, is not limited to the slices that you see out there today. This is what many call in tech the growth mindset. It's understanding that you not only can grow your enterprise or you're part of an enterprise, you can grow the sector with technology. That's the power of uh, tech and of uh, growth mindset. How does that hold true in 2021, Kelly? Yeah, I mean, we've certainly believed uh, all along that a platform like ours is helping to grow the pie. It's not just shifting it around. And when companies and their people join our ecosystem and open up their programs, you know, to year-round programs that aren't just focused on the one or two or three causes that the company thinks are important, we see increases in participation in those programs. You know, after the first year, 20%, by year four, it actually doubles. And so it is true that you know t technology allows you to increase the size of the pie. Interestingly, related to the examples um, just cited, 69% of people donate when they're asked at a checkout at the grocery store or Walmart, do you want to donate a, a dollar to breast cancer research or that type of thing? And, and most people actually do. And so, you know, once again, a big driver of donations is simply just being asked. So the, to the extent charities can use these apps or a platform like Benevity to access users, there's a lot of efficiency there versus going door to door and phoning which is how it, it used to be done. And it's it's not so much that people do it to feel charitable. It gives people a sense of efficacy and impact, you know, in a world where generally we feel helpless. It just gives you a chance to contribute, be part of a collective that is supporting a great cause. And that echoes another aspect of tech thinking, which is finding ways to get into the pathway of the consumer, not hoping that the consumer is going to come to you, but to know where they're going. And the checkout line is uh, is uh, a pretty good place to be when you're asking for money. It's also a bit like the Netflix model, which additionally takes away bottlenecks, which are often the challenge for any sector. Distribution used to be the biggest challenge for movies. Getting a movie into someone's living room meant that that person had to get into the car, drive somewhere, go into a store, get the video, go home. Now it's a couple of presses of a button and you're, you're there. That's transformative, not only for the consumer, but it's growing the market. And the technology that Benevity is developing similarly takes away some of those constraints, if I can put it that way. Kelly, how, how do you see over the next while technology continuing to remove constraints for, for charities and for those of us who want to both give and connect with uh, social good? Yeah, I mean, you're not just restricted by borders anymore. That's for sure. That's probably one of the biggest benefits uh, there, John. We actually see a lot of cross-border donations facilitated through our platform, whether it's to support Australian wildfires or the racial equality movement in the U.S. You know, what a platform allows is for these causes to feature their content and for us to publish specific campaigns to support them. 
And we've got the benefit, I guess, of having aggregated about 10 million users in our platform that it would take probably a lot of money and and a lot of time for causes to reach um, that many people all at once when an event like this happens or when help is needed. So if I'm on Benevity through my employer or through other associations, I have immediate access to all of those charities, all those causes? You do to the extent your uh, corporation allows for it, and the majority, vast majority of them do. And so we have a database of 2 million causes globally that we have vetted, and we continue to ensure that they're in good standing, and, and you've got access to that whole database. So it does sound like the Netflix of philanthropy. Actually, the Netflix analogy is an interesting one because something we saw in 2020 is a lot of our clients, of which Netflix is one, were looking to us to help engage their customers. So they actually wanted to to extend further than their own employees and engage their customers in doing good. So, you know, imagine you're watching a a Netflix um, documentary on climate change and then you're feeling really passionate about what you've seen, whether it's plastic in the ocean or whatever it is. And then there's a donate button to a specific cause that was featured in that documentary. So you can sort of imagine the effect there. And and that could be powered by the Benevity platform. So Netflix is becoming the Benevity of entertainment. I guess they could if if we extended to to that example that I just gave. But is that where philanthropy is going, that uh, causes are are going to need to and, and want to insert themselves in different streams of content, be it as you know, attached to a Netflix documentary or, or or video gaming. We just did an episode on how gaming is transforming all sorts of sectors, including philanthropy. Do charities need to think about inserting themselves in those content streams? Yeah, we, we believe that that's definitely going to be a trend going forward, John. And often what causes people to donate is simply just being asked. And so the more people that you can get in front of with your cause, the, the better it, it ultimately will be. And historically, if you wanted to support a charity, you could give only one of two things, your time or your money, or maybe an introduction to someone else who has time or money. But technology is opening up new options there as well. How do you see the commodities of what we give, time, money, now reward points, continuing to grow? Yeah, one big trend is is really around pro-social actions. And so if you don't have necessarily money or time, there there are other ways uh, to give. And so if you're passionate about climate change, you might earn points for riding your bike to work, or you may earn points for getting groceries for an elderly neighbor who can't do it themselves or that type of things. And we actually see companies starting to reward those types of actions very similarly to volunteering. So I've done two hours of, of good deeds, if you will, this week, and now I got 50 bucks from my company, and now I can actually use that to donate to a cause that I care about. And the incentive for companies and employers in all of this is, I'm assuming, uh, employee retention and uh, attracting a new generation of employees. What other advantages are there for organizations to lean into this platform approach to social good? I mean, on, on top of attracting and retaining top talent, which which is a big one, and we, we see it in our own data that users that are actively engaged in both giving and volunteering, the turnover of those is significantly less than those who are not. But engagement is, is a big thing as well. And, and higher employee engagement drives not just retention, but higher productivity and, and more innovation and, and other things. So that's a big benefit. It's obviously a challenging time in the social good space, but it sounds like an incredibly exciting time too. Kelly, where 
does Benevity go from here, especially as we move out of crisis into recovery? You know, I think, unfortunately, 2021 is going to be a pretty tough year as well. We're certainly not out of the woods yet. There's some positive signs on the vaccine front. But a lot of what we've seen and what we've learned in 2020, you know, including around sort of this hybrid uh, online in-person model, it's it's just unlikely to change. We're, we're unlikely to go back to a world where all of us sit in offices from 8 a.m. To, to 5 p.m. every day as well. It's just the world has changed. So we just think that what we do and, and how we help companies and their people do good has just become even more relevant. And so we're just, we're going to be doing more of the same. Plus, we're going to be focusing on engaging more internationally headquartered companies. You know, we've been mainly focused on North America. And, and as I said earlier, trying to engage people in different aspects of their lives. So not just their corporate life, but in their personal uh, circles as well. As you settle into the role of CEO at Benevity, what what do you see as the biggest opportunities? You know, the great part about uh, Benevity is is uh, we don't have to spend a lot of time thinking about where the growth opportunities will come from. It's more about prioritization. And so we think that that B2B2C opportunity that we've talked about a bit with, you know, Netflixes of the world, or you can picture, you know, Peloton um, having charity rides where the donations and disbursements are powered by Benevity. We think that's going to be um, a really emerging opportunity over these coming years as well. That's all part of the growth mindset, uh, hopping on to other people's growth machines and engines if uh, if it allows you to uh, accelerate what you're doing. Kelly, I'm so glad we've done this episode because I, I've learned a ton. Uh, number one, I should say social good rather than philanthropy because it really is about more than uh, just giving I've also learned how the pie can grow for social good. There's a lot more resources out there that uh, every organization can uh, tap into. Money, obviously, but it's not just money. It's people's time, it's their commitment, it's their networks, it's their engagement. I'm also excited about how social good and philanthropy will be integrated in more and more of what we do in all aspects of our lives, whether it's uh, using a Peloton app or watching something on Netflix or buying something through an e-commerce channel. There are opportunities, endless opportunities, for us to engage in social good. And I guess that takes me to my last takeaway, that social good will be both global and local as we come out of this crisis. There's an opportunity and a need for so many organizations and causes to scale globally, not just for the resources, but to build that global relevance, uh, including building global movements. But we also need to really hang on to and invest in that local connectivity, because that is the true power of social good is building the fabric, building the connective tissue, if you will, of your neighborhood and of your community. We can't lose sight of that, even as we have to keep ourselves a little more distance. My guest today has been the incoming CEO of Benevity, Kelly Schmidt. Kelly, thanks for a great conversation. Thank you, John. I'd also like to thank Luke Hartwick from RBC Ventures, Todd Minerson from Movember Canada, and Eric Windler from Jack.org for sharing their perspectives on the future of charitable giving. I'm John Stackhouse, and this is Disruptors, an RBC podcast. Join us next time when we'll mark Black History Month with a conversation about the importance of diversity and innovation. On the heels of last year's historic Black Lives Matter movement, We'll look at how, from the boardroom to the mailroom, the tech sector can benefit 
from more diverse voices and contribute to a more innovative and inclusive society. Talk to you soon. Disruptors, an RBC podcast, is created by the RBC Thought Leadership Group and does not constitute a recommendation for any organization, product, or service. It's produced and recorded by JAR Audio. For more Disruptors content, like or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit rbc.com disruptors.